Hello and welcome, my name is Leah Barber and you're listening to Next Gen Femme, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women's achievements, be it in business, sports, STEM or the arts. We speak to women that persevered through ups and downs to pursue their passions. And he was a publisher for a Dublin book company and he said, I was wondering if I could have a chat with you. Um, I'm thinking of doing a, a book on Eamon Ryan and, you know, I'd love to meet you for a cup of coffee. So I met him in Costa Coffee in Blackpool on Christmas Eve and he said, look, what do you think of this idea? And I said, again, kind of, you know, probably speaking my mind. <laughs> I said, to be honest, the story isn't about Eamon Ryan. No offence to Eamon Ryan. I was like, the story is about Eamon Ryan and the team and what they did as a group. That's the story. In episode 19, we chatted with Mary White. Mary is the author of Relentless, the inside story of the Cork Ladies footballers, and the author of Cora Staunton's autobiography, Game Changer, for which she won the Unpussed Irish Sports Book of the Year Award in 2018. She's also an advocate for diversity and inclusion in women's sports. Mary talks to us about how she went from playing inter-county football to taking the initiative to write and promote ladies football, as well as being a part of other national teams in sports such as tag rugby and basketball. During this time, she brings us along her journey as she tells us how the opportunity to write Relentless came along, as well as Cora Staunton's autobiography, as well as so much more. All of this and more in the newest episode of Next Gen Femme. We're excited for you to hear our 19th episode. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Next Gen Femme, or Next Generation Female, however you'd like to put it. We're here again with another episode, episode 19. It's been about 84 years since we've been in self-isolation or lockdown. Oh my <laughs> myself God, and so my, myself and my co-host, Dr. Fiona Malone, have seen far too much of each other. Hello, Fiona. How are you doing? How's things? Oh, Good to see you. Know. you. Good to see you. I saw you yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> and last week. Yeah. And Pretty this, much once, if not twice a week. Too much. We've seen too much years. of each other yeah, for 84 years. <laughs> So this week we are joined by Mary White, who is the author of Relentless, the inside story of the Cork Ladies footballers. She's a winner of the Onpus Irish Sports Book of the Year 2018 for the autobiography Cora Staunton's Game Changer. And she's an advocate for diversity and inclusion in women's sports. Hello, Mary. Hi, guys. How are you? Hello. Good. Thank you so... You're looking great for 84 years. I know. (laughs) Thanks very much. (laughs) The fountain of youth has done wonders for us. I don't think gingers go grey, so I think I'm doing okay. Doing oh, great. I'm definitely going grey, Fiona. <laughs> really? Shit. <laughs> that's, theory. that's that debunked. Mary, thank you oh. so much for, for joining us, especially today is a Saturday. Uh, so thank you for taking the time out to join us for, for, a, for a fun and casual conversation about your career and life's journey. <laughs> I like it. Sounds very, very sounds very deep and wonderful, but still. So to start off, could you please introduce yourself to our audience by telling us your name, your age, if you don't mind, occupation and an interesting or random fact, which could be about yourself or just like an interesting random fact that you know. Okay, so my name's Mary White. I am 38. Don't look it. You don't. Uh, but definitely 38. Great for 84 years. I get that a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 38. I'm uh, operations project manager for a techno- global technology company in Cork City, mm-hmm. Cork born and bred. And fun random fact is I've had tea with the Queen in Buckingham Palace. No way! Sorry, no. Sorry. Right. Okay. Before we even start the episode, we're gonna yeah, have okay. to hear this story. A friend of mine competed for Great Britain in basketball mm-hmm. in the London Olympics. Wow. So she, she was originally Canadian, but her mother was from Liverpool. So her mother couldn't fly over 
So the Queen hosts two garden parties every year. So she hosted uh, the GB Olympic team. So because I was only an hour down the road on a plane, I got to go. So that was in 2014. So it was mental. <laughs> oh my <Yeah>. God. <laughs> so were you just like, hi, Queen, uh, hello, uh, how's it going? How do you do? <laughs> yeah. So Can I, you look like, her in the eye? How does that work? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was, so the got sent, um, Obviously, they did a guard check, police check and everything else to make sure that I was normal to some extent. Um, I was like, God, OK, what am I going to wear? So a friend of mine, actually, who I used to work with in the Evening Echo, Anne Murphy, used to make hats in her spare time. So she made a hat for me. And then I was like, I'm going to have to wear green because, you know, Irish. I need to put the stamp the Irish. Yeah. Basically, I look like an air hostess, more or less. <laughs> Early air hostess in Buckingham Palace. But it was absolutely fantastic. It was a great day. The king and queen were there. Um, Prince Philip, yeah, Prince Philip was there. Beatrice, Eugenie, Andrew, Harry wasn't there, but it was fabulous. So they had, so you queued up the gates and then you you go through the entrance and then literally through the hallway and out the back into the garden. And they had like little, you know, cucumber sandwiches. How British! Did you little chocolate slices with you know the royal emblem on it? Um, Did you see the corgis? Did you see the corgis? And they actually brought them out. (gasps) So they, so the family came out out. onto the. Now we weren't allowed to take, weren't allowed to take photographs or anything, but we snuck one or two. (laughs) All the family came out on the veranda, and the the corgis were there. Yeah, yeah. And then she, the queen, would mingle. They'd all mingle, but they literally have a little foot army of these. uh, Must be about sixty guys in top hats. And how they know everything about everybody in the crowd is beyond me. So they would like literally be, you know, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. But they knew everything about everybody and literally went around to most people. Now, obviously not me, like, but it was fab. That's my fun fact. Wow. So we might see you represented somehow in a season of The Crown at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Great series. Yeah, great show. That's that's a great fun fact. Well, that one has shook me down. I know. Yeah. Random <laughs> and great. The best kind. It's not something you'd, it's not something you'd, you know, come out with normally. So I was like, no. okay, I'll just take that one out. <laughs> just drop that oh one. God. That's a great, that was a great fun fact. So we, we better get back to the topic at hand. <laughs> as much as it's great to talk about the Queen and her corgis and, and Philip himself. So as you know, our, our podcast is very much about showcasing women that have achieved some incredible things in their life and you are one of them. So our podcast is very much kind of very free-flowing and casual. So we just sit back, we relax and we, we listen to you talk about your journey and how you started representing or how you started pushing ladies football with some freelance journalists that you did for was about 17 years uh, of your of your own free time then going down a bit of a a career in tech and then writing a book so we'd love for you to kind of just take us two books sorry (laughs) two books so I'd love for you to take us on that journey maybe if it started when you were going into college and how you became a player and then kind of wanted to promote the game a bit more so I suppose whenever you're ready take us on that journey yeah I'm ready to go take <laughs> ready to go. okay so um I can pinpoint exactly the moment that I fell in love with sports like down to the second okay. and it was literally the 1990 soccer world cup okay uh, Italian 90 and it was the minute Packy Bonner made the save um, oh yeah <laughs> Romania um so much so that that summer I asked my parents could I have a Packy Bonner jersey for my birthday uh-huh. 
Um, and literally the kids, everyone, we just went nuts like that summer for World Cup 90. And it was literally that second that I fell in love with sport. I went to primary school in St. Michael's in Upper Glanmire. And we, you know, we had a great, um, great football team and great teachers who kind of pushed you to play with the fellas as well as the girls. So we had a boys team and a girls team that was massive. So I suppose even from an early age, there was kind of no kind of differentiation between boys and girls. Mm-hmm. So it was just drive on, do what you do, do, do it well. And from there, I went to secondary school in St. Andrews College in Cork City. And again, same thing, you know, played basketball, played football, went to college, played basketball, football. But I was surrounded by people like I was in secondary school. I was in primary school with the likes of Lane Hart, who was a goalkeeper for Cork Lane's football team. I was in secondary school with the likes of Valley Mulcahy, who mm-hmm. you know from Cork football yeah. as well. I would have played basketball with the likes of Juliet Murphy. So I was always kind of surrounded by women who wanted to achieve mm-hmm. and wanted to make a difference. And I think personally for me, probably my my grandmother um, would have... You know, she was a dressmaker back in the day, you know, great story from her is she grew up in Barrack Street in Park City and she remembers being shot at by the black and tans. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So she was a dressmaker. And, you know, obviously at, at that time when you, um, you know, when you got married and you had kids, you had to give up work, but she continued to work kind of behind closed doors and making uniforms and that for oh, you know, good woman. like stay Yeah. So she was a great woman. I remember even like when she was 85, she was up a ladder fixing her shed to move from their shed you know so she was just unbelievably capable um as were her her daughters she's six daughters so I think I was always kind of surrounded by women who wanted to make a difference and didn't settle for mm-hmm. the norm yeah. yeah and I think I think for me when it came to you know I was playing ladies football um for Cork at the time and players are kind of giving out that oh we're not getting coverage and we're not getting this and we're not getting that and I was kind of like why are you giving out like do something about it Mm -hmm. and that kind of wrecked my head actually still wrecks my head when I hear people giving out about things and I'm like okay what what are you going to do like don't Mm -hmm. wait for somebody else to do it and that's really how I kind of got into the journalism side of side of things Mm -hmm. that's another long-winded story but um yeah I think growing up I suppose for me and I I had a you know unbelievable father as well he was a hairdresser he's a hairdresser and he started when he was 21 Literally, I think it was about two months before they put Man and Moon, uh, he opened up his own hairdressing salon, which was bizarre even then. Yeah. And in 2017, we celebrated 50 years in business, which for, I suppose, for a niche market that's so saturated, like hairdressers, mm-hmm. is massive. Yeah. That's um, impressive, yeah. That's... It, yeah, I, I think people don't probably realise, gosh, but like, it is seriously impressive, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's very business-minded, so... um yeah, I think that I think growing up, I I had all those elements that I suppose people kind of didn't really settle for the norm, really. Okay. Yeah. And what age were you? Were you playing county football, and then, as you said, you you were kind of almost sick of people going, "Well, why aren't we getting coverage?" When you you obviously took action then. So, what age were you when you kind of decided, you know what, I'm going to start giving the coverage to the to the ladies' football that it deserves? Yeah. So I was in I. I'd say I was in first year, maybe second year of college. Mm-hmm. So again, I would have been surrounded by the likes of Juliet Murphy, a lot of other people at the time. And I was actually playing with Cork Juniors at the time and kind of, you know, doing the odd cameo for the Cork Seniors. And as people may know, or if they've read the book Relentless, they'll understand that, you know, for 30 years, Cork Lays footballers didn't win anything. They were getting hammered by Kerry and Watford. Mm-hmm. And we were settling, you know. Yeah. Um, and... 
I suppose there was a kind of melting pot there of people. When we went to college, we, you know, we had great coaches. We had coaches like Fiona Driscoll, um, you know, former Cork Mogul player, outstanding player, driven female as well. The likes of Keith Ricken, you know, who brought the Cork under 21 males to All-Ireland victory last year. Mm-hmm. Incredible coach. And our eyes were kind of opened when we went to college that, okay, the coaching that we were getting elsewhere in our lives, whether that might have been in club or county, the standards weren't there. So we started to kind of ask questions. And what we actually did was we did a player survey and we surveyed all the players in the junior team and the senior team saying, okay, what improvements would you make? You know, what are the issues you're having? And we brought it to the county board. Um, and we said, look, guys, something needs to change. And um, same manager had been there for seven years, had done a fantastic job. But I think maybe maybe had done superb work underage, but bridging that gap when it came to communicating with adults and coaching adults mm-hmm. was slightly different. So then there was a big county board meeting whereby Elaine Hart stood up and said, look, I think we need to change. And it kind of progressed from there. So initially I was actually covering games, county games that I was playing in and myself. Oh, oh my God. Was, yeah. And that was How so was weird. that even? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So after about, I'd say it must have been about four matches. I was like, this is just yeah, all sorts of yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. So basically when I stepped back from playing into county, they went on and won, you know, a couple of All-Irelands and a couple of <laughs> <league> titles. <laughs> yeah, they, they took off then. It was an unbelievable journey, like, and to be there from the start, kind of from the change, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. if I don't have an All-Ireland medal, senior All-Ireland medal, you know, it was brilliant to be there, like, along with them and having started yeah. out with them. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said, though, for the amount of time and effort that you put into showcasing their achievements to kind of take the time out and to focus on sharing that voice or being the voice that shares what they're accomplishing, especially since you said, I think, what was it, 30, 31 years, they hadn't won anything and then they start to steamroll and win stuff. So being the voice or the channel of, of, of broadcasting that message of them achieving was a testament to you, like, and I think there's yeah something to be said for it and I think like it's a funny story how I actually got into it then was uh, Dunmore were in an All-Ireland final at the time and there was an the editor the sports editor of the Evening Echo at the time was a guy called Liam Horan um, and he was a mailman and obviously they were you know playing Carnacon you know mailmen get everywhere like <laughs> yeah what yeah. are you doing down there <laughs> but he he spoke to Juliet Murphy uh, after the Dunmore were in the All-Ireland final, he said to her, how many of the Dunmore players are, he casually just said to her, you know, how many of the Dunmore players are, are on the Cork County team? And she said, one. One out of 30 women. Wow. And he was like, okay, what, what, what's wrong there? And she was kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, people didn't really want to play for the, the coach at the time. There was no pride in the jersey. Mm-hmm. And Juliet kind of knew that I had done the player survey. So she was like, actually, bring this girl, Mary White, whatever, so he rang me anyway, and I was very conscious of what I was saying mm. at the time. I suppose I was only like 20, mm-hmm. and I, you know, you know, I was very, yeah, it was. And kind of looking back, I suppose, I suppose for anyone kind of listening about, you know, questioning whether they should speak up about something, I think you always should. And I suppose it's Yeah, I think that's very brave at 20. And at that time, you were saying, you know, you were going through a lot of changes with college and, you know, playing at such a high level in terms of your club and your county and stuff. And then, to kind of step up, like Leah was saying, an advocate for, look, this isn't right. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. very brave. 
Well, Very brave. yeah, well, well, it turned out well, thank God. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose that's not to take away from the fact to be brave enough to stand up to say, look, I don't think things are right here. And just because you're talking to older individuals or maybe more experienced individuals, if you feel something's not right, mm. you're not sitting well you know, to say it. And I remember being very conscious as well of the fact that, you know, the people who were there at the time coaching or involved at the county board, they were only doing their best, you know, and I was very conscious yeah. of that. And I didn't want to be disrespectful, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, the day, sometimes your best isn't good enough. And that goes for all of us, which is why we all have to, you know, constantly reevaluate what we do as individuals. Mm-hmm. Well. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting off the phone going, oh God, what have I said? What have <laughs> what I done? Have I just heard there now? Or... Who have I upset or whatever? Yeah. And I literally got off the phone straight away and I went down to my father's computer at the time, like this ginormous computer. And I typed a letter uh, to the editor and just reiterating exactly what I said on the phone. Cause I was like, this could go anyway. I just yeah, went to yeah. my backside basically. And I remember dropping the letter into the Irish examiner on evening echo on Academy street, thinking nothing of it. And I got a phone call 10 minutes later and he said, will you write a ladies football volume for us? And that's oh, literally yeah. how it started. Oh my God! Wow. At, at what, 20 years of age? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And like, so, w- was even kind of writing something that you were into as well at the time? Or were you just... Not, what were you not, studying in college, actually? I don't yeah. know. Sorry, yeah. I So I did rec- business studies in recreation and leisure and c Okay, so not journalism or <laughs> no, writing or anything. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Never, ever, ever had an interest in writing nothing no I had diaries growing up like but I mean you know today I had a match that was it kind of a thing <laughs> but yeah never and I suppose again you know for anyone listening if you're looking to get outside your comfort zone and we kind of all go through this at different points in our lives like but you know even when, when it came to writing the book or writing being a sports journalist I didn't have an iota of what I was at or what I was doing but I wanted to make a difference mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I just did it and you kind of learn your way and you kind of navigate through what you want to do yes um and that's that's a I suppose that's probably a little life lesson that we all kind of have to take mm-hmm. every now and again is just you know just just do it yeah yeah I think it takes it sometimes it just takes the one person to want to see the change to make the change if that makes sense like the person that rang you after seeing your letter was obviously the right person at the right time to see that because they were like oh here's a young girl that wants to advocate for ladies football or just female sports why don't we get her to write a column for it so that person as well like took that that kind of leap of faith or that kind of that time to go why don't we put this into our paper or into our news articles yeah because like you said Mary you had no kind of idea that that's the way it was gonna go but for him like Leah said to see that potential mm-hmm. I mean, yeah and I suppose he had the game. vision way back when mm-hmm. like this is like nearly 20 years ago to actually go okay and he I remember he brought me into a little room in the, in the Irish examiner and after was my first match report and he spent about a good maybe hour kind of going through okay like this is how you should probably open up your intro or you know, this is kind of what analysis kind of is or mm-hmm. you know and he took the time to sit down wow. with me and, yeah and like god I'm really showing my age now like but like there was no iPhones mm-hmm. you know the internet just come in so there was no social media there was no Twitter there was no Google Maps I I still have the Collins map of Ireland that I used to have in my <laughs> car I still have the disc man wow. you know you're driving up to like the middle of nowhere you know in Offaly covering mm-hmm. a match and driving down no internet nothing that's um, true, yeah. Actually, yeah. I never really thought about it like that. <laughs> yeah. You forget. So, 
Forget that there, uh, at one point there wasn't a thing as Google Maps. There's not a hope in hell I would have made it up to those matches. And like, imagine and the roads go. back then too. Not that they're much better now, but yeah. at least they're a little yeah. bit yeah. better. Jeez. Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's... So it was mental, but like fantastic as well. And so where's the furthest like you had to go? Like, is there any specific kind of match or anything that kind of sticks out? The last match I ever probably covered was Cork or Plain. Mayo in the All-Ireland quarter-final. It was somewhere up the north. It was in Cavan, and it was ridiculous. And I remember looking at the map at the time. So Anya Terry O'Sullivan, who's from Allahees in West Cork. Mm -hmm. So she had to leave Allahees in West Cork and then go to Cavan to play this match. She would have got to New York faster by playing. Jesus. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it would have taken her seven hours to get from Cork to New York. I don't know how many hours it was for her to get to Cork to Cavan, but you know, it was definitely shorter by playing to New York. Yeah. But like that was the commitment they were putting in. You know, okay, great. Yeah. I was able to tell their story and mm-hmm. all of that. But like the commitment they put in was just something else. Yeah. So obviously sending that letter in and starting to do the column was around your 20s. So you were obviously very early into your degree in, in college as well. So how, and that was the the start of your 17 years of kind of freelance journal- journalist journalism 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 <laughs> I got I got there eventually um so how did you find balancing your degree and kind of going to all of these matches and covering them like how did you do balance that like that's your weekend's really gone isn't mm. it like yeah I'm not a person to sit still. Um, Yeah, definitely not. Um, I think I get that from my parents, the fact that they were self-employed. You know, you just get up and kind of do it like. So when it even came to the books, like for the second book for Cora's autobiography, I was literally, so I'd work, obviously I was working tech company. uh, Monday to Friday, I would drive to Mayo for three months. It was about, um, so I'd leave on a Saturday morning. It would be a three and a half hour drive up. You'd sit down for five hours, three and a half hour drive back. That was a Saturday. The Sunday, if you were sitting down for five hours, of course, you would be, or I would be transcribing for 10 hours because I felt it was very important to get the voice. Um, I spoke to uh, Alan English, who wrote Paul O'Connell's book at the time, just before I did this. And he was like, whatever you do, get the voice, the person, right? So people were offering to transcribe for me, but I was like, no, this is something I have to do. And I was so painstaking for anyone who's, done that with college work and stuff and then initially into work on a Monday finished f- at five come home eat sit down for maybe six to ten and write the book and that was for 18 months wow. well the the driving up and down was you know for three months but um and then when Corp you know moved to Australia to play professional Aussie rules it was 6 a.m calls to Australia wow. two days a week morning before wow. work like, I wouldn't recommend it lads so I don't listen <laughs> yeah. don't write a book dang it I was just about to start one there now <laughs> yeah no so sorry yeah but even I mean even back when you were in college when you were even starting off the kind of the journalism and the and the writing and obviously balancing your degree and stuff like that so how did that work out I I actually can't really recall I think time management was something that I was probably always good at Mm -hmm. so I probably it didn't probably stress me out I suppose you probably have less responsibilities as well in college I was playing as well in college but look it was just a lot going on I, I I actually can't really answer it 
really you know how I balanced it but I <laughs> it's all a blur it, it? <laughs> yeah it's all a blur yeah literally yeah yeah because it usually is anyway <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> <it's okay>. yeah. <laughs> because you, you played county for your your football and you've also played county for soccer and basketball and then you've played Ireland for, uh you've played with Ireland Never. for tag rugby so yeah. how did that squeeze into the mix then wow. as well? And when in your time frame was that were were those those few things? So I suppose basketball and ladies football was probably in and around college, you know, in my twenties and that. I didn't take up soccer until like my early thirties and I loved it. They were probably desperate for players at the time, actually, like <laughs> to come knocking the door of a thirty year old who's never played soccer before, but soccer when I was growing up wasn't a thing it was always it was ladies football was just kind of coming through really mm-hmm. or it would have been camogie or mm-hmm. you know basketball would have been secondary school as well but um if I had my time back I I'd love to have played soccer like I just loved it so yeah and then the tag rugby I think was maybe my early 30s that was maybe one summer and um, that was great fun as well so there's trials and we kind of beat Great Britain and the big kind of cup thing that we had but I haven't played anything now in years you know go to the gym all right but um I miss the I miss the kind of team buzz yeah, like you so guys probably know that like the banter and that yeah. definitely miss yeah. that yeah we yeah. were we had Rena Buckley on two or three episodes ago now or maybe more than that I've lost like, I have no concept of time and I have no concept of <laughs> three years who we've it? spoken yeah. to over the last few weeks um, yeah and we spoke to her and we were all three of us were kind of like there is something very special about team sports that unless you've played team sports you can't fully understand there's just yeah it's just there's something very unique and very special about playing within a team and it definitely when you've experienced it and then when you've gone past the point of you might never experience it again it is, it is like quite Don't say that, I know. it's so sad <laughs> but it is a, definitely a highlight of your of your life that you look back on fondly we were chatting about the effect of like COVID-19 and the pandemic mm. on the situation now and like we were even chatting to Olga in the last episode when she was saying when you're in it it's like a drug and now you can't do it anymore and mm-hmm. how it's affecting her daily life and I think when you're part of a team and you see them two three times a week on the pitch and then you're in the gym and yeah and that now, all of a sudden stops it's yeah, yeah it, it's tough yeah. it must be really tough at the moment obviously mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely do you think there's a lot of activity and talk about club sports finding it difficult now post-COVID-19 like do you think there'll be a big change in I don't know the level of uptake at the sport do you think players will go back I'd love to hear your thoughts on that I think for a lot of people I think it's it's quite a unique situation because it depends on the individual and I think it depends on the individual circumstances so whether you've loved ones or you know if you've your parents are cocooning or whatever it might be or you know if someone has you know an underlying conditioning condition I think it's harder to kind of see the collective effect because it impacts people in so many different ways I think once people feel comfortable if there's a vaccine I think that's really only when you're going to really see things come back Mm. I think up at that point I don't think people yeah you know widespread will feel comfortable with going back I think there's still going to be a hesitation because I know there's chat about things coming back now in July and Mm -hmm. August and fitness and I heard the GAA were releasing you know, documentation yesterday showing their return to play and stuff. And I was like, it's a big ask to ask some players and people, especially at the club level, do you know, when it's all yeah. and things mm-hmm. like that. I just, I, like I, it, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. 
Yeah, it's great now that they have the summer camps coming back because again, like, you know, mental health is huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just trying to get the balance right and, you know, give people that outlet that they need. Um, so it's great that, you know, the summer camps are coming back and that, but um, it's just such weird times. Like, it's it is so strange. strange yeah. yeah, it's so strange. You don't, you, unless something as massive as the pandemic, you don't realize the things that are just like an everyday constant when they're all of a sudden just stopped you don't realize how much you miss them kind of thing like fee in one of our previous episodes you were saying how your dad is like there's nothing no sports on the tv now so he's like what do i do now kind of thing yeah and um, then that results in him pulling up a tree yeah so the, as well not pulled out of the ground but here we are as well um, as it being tough for the the players having that yeah. routine and that schedule just completely halted it's also tough for the people that maybe not rely but are are very fond of seeing the sports that they love on tv and that that energy that it that it brings in people's or that goes into people's houses when they watch them and share these experiences it's a social outlet for a lot of people like they go to the matches and during the summer they'd have the tickets to the games and that's Mm -hmm. their thing Mm -hmm. you know some people concerts some people go to the cinema and some people it's games it's matches Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, like I think the one thing that'll come out of it is we're all going to be well. One, we're all going to be way more adaptable. So if you can't do what you normally can do, you kind of have to find another way. And I think that in turn makes you more resilient. Mm-hmm. And it it almost kind of opens your network to other and your eyes to other things mm-hmm. because yeah. you you've had to do other things. So you know there's that positive thing coming out of it as well. That's true. I think someone <laughs> said that the people coming out of the leaving cert this year will probably be some of the most resilient people when they get older because of this. And as shitty as the situation is for them now, it will stand to them in the future kind of thing. Oh, definitely. They're going to be the most resilient, creative, culinary human beings mm. known to men. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we've kind of we've kind of jumped forward in, in time here with our, our, our journey, or with your journey. But I'd like to kind of go back a bit because you were made PRO for the Cork County Board at age 22. So you were obviously a few years into doing the journalism stuff. So what? how did that become about that you became PRO for the Cork County Board? So again, the slot kind of came up. Mm-hmm. Um, the previous PRO stepped aside. And the fact, I suppose, that I'd been doing stuff for the newspaper anyway, it was kind of almost at the county board meeting, all the heads turning around and looking at me. And it was situation. Um it's kind of hard to say no when there's like, you know, 50, 70 heads turning around looking at you. Um, but again, going back to like, okay, I've never done this before, but you know what? I'm just going to give it a bash because I know things can be done better. Yeah. I'm not saying that my view was, oh, I can do it better than anyone else or my way is the right way. It's not. It's okay. Things can be improved. I'm not going to sit here and moan about it. I'm going to actually go do something about it mm-hmm. and, you know, suppose reach out to other individuals who have different ideas and listen to them and what we can do better. And, you know, we got smart telecom on board at the time. And we got, they gave, I think it was a five figure um, sponsorship deal at the time, which was like, it's huge. Wow. Like, we didn't even want anything. Yeah. We got media sponsorship from the Evening Echo. Like the, the promotion of it really jumped. And, you know, I even remember, I think it was 2005, the Cork Ladies footballers had obviously won their first All Ireland. The Camogie team had won theirs, and the Cork Hurlers had won theirs. And I remember writing a letter to O2 saying, "Will you guys sponsor the Cork Ladies footballers?" You uh-huh. know, 
because like AIG are doing it now, like this was how many years ago? Yeah. We asked for, you know, would O2 do it? And it, I think it got approved regionally, but nationally, the vision there kind of wasn't there to see it like, but like, it's great to see how far, it's like how far we've come even in two years. It's huge, like mm-hmm. not a mind, you know, two decades, like so. So at what point, like obviously Cork holds a very special place in your heart, being from Cork and then playing Cork County football yourself and playing county for other, other, sports disciplines as well at what point did the idea of relentless kind of become a thing to start writing about and kind of going about that process it's not like you weren't doing anything yeah i know like i'm all this time why don't i write a book (laughs) oh god yeah so my father like he would have been my biggest kind of like you know he would kind of like you know the park had won three all irelands and he's like you have to write a book on these crowds and I'm like dad hang on now this way more than this crowd but in the back of my head I was like oh I hope am I ever writing a book like sure I you know not a clue and I remember it was December Christmas Eve December 2014 and sorry the, uh, the day before Christmas Eve and I got a phone call from a lovely chap called Patrick O'Donoghue and Eamon Ryan who had been the coach of the Cork Ladies Footballers at the time had taught him in primary school and he was a publisher for a Dublin book company. And he said, I was wondering if I could have a chat with you. Um, I'm thinking of doing a, a book on Eamon Ryan and, you know, I'd love to meet you for a cup of coffee. So I met him in Costa Coffee in Blackpool on Christmas Eve. And he said, look, what do you think of this idea? And I said, again, kind of, you know, probably speaking my mind. <laughs> I said, to be honest, the story isn't about Eamon Ryan. No offense to Eamon Ryan. I was like, the story is about Eamon Ryan and the team and what they did as a group. That's the story. So he was like, how do you feel about writing it? And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> and he was like, you'd have to write started in January. Like, we need it done for April. Jeez. What? So, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. From, we, had, like, we had a writer on, obviously, not a sports writer, and the wonderful Anne Griffin. And I'm pretty sure it took her a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah. To write so, a book. <laughs> yeah. I had, yeah, five, I had f- five months to do it. Wow. Um, so... Actually sweating like that's true. Yeah, that that entire Christmas I was like, like, first of all, you're like humming and hawing. You're like, okay, one, like what? And two, okay. I suppose in the back of my head, I knew I was the right person to do it. And my mother had said to me at the time, she's like, Mary, I'll be disgusted if somebody else writes this book and it's not you. Uh Oh well, that is motivation. (laughs) I was like, she's got a point. (laughs) So Patrick was like, yeah, okay, go. So sat down actually did loads and loads of interviews I think I interviewed about 50 people who were involved at the time and I remember it came to April it was Easter and I thought I would do um oh what's that film uh, where she writes the book Bridget Jones oh oh yeah, yeah yeah I thought I would do Bridget Jones and get a house by the lake you know so there was an offer <laughs> and done deal not done deal um, I don't know one of those uh, websites for um, on daft or something like that. a holiday home up uh, on Blessington Lake Right. So I thought this is great. I'll write a house for the week. Right. Yeah. I had nothing written. This was the Easter holidays and the first draft had to be in by the end of May. So I was like, I had all these interviews all transcribed and I was sitting at the kitchen table in this house going, what? I've nothing written. So what I did was I took an A4 pad and I wrote 2004 on top of one page to 2005 and so on. And I took each story from each year, from each interview that I did mm-hmm. and wrote it down on each page. And that's actually how I kind of weaved the story the story is yeah. through and that's wow. how I did and then I remember sitting there was a bar in this particular place and I remember sitting out sitting by the, the lake and I was there thinking to myself I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to hand in my notice I'd, I'd worked at the evening for nine years at that point loved what I did loved the people that I worked with 
but I need to get the book written in like six weeks yeah, six, yeah. or no, it was longer than that maybe I remember I'm going saying to myself I'm going to work in the morning Monday morning I'm handing you my notice I had a mortgage to pay I had like you know car whatever and just a few insignificant things no <laughs> yeah yeah the listeners can't see my face I am stressing <laughs> yeah so I had I, I finished my left my job to finish the book and then the book was due to come out that October and it was they were going for the 10th All Ireland at the time. So I remember it was really close. And I remember being in the press box in Pro Park going, Oh my God, they better win. They better win the 10 because the book is coming out. Like, um, to put the icing on the cake. And my father got sick. My father, two days after that All Ireland final, he suffered a massive stroke. Okay. Um, so we had all of that to deal with. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to be at the, um, the launch, mm-hmm. but the reaction to the book was fantastic. And he held it in the Imperial Hotel. And there was a couple of hundred people in there. And I'm, oh, oh so Leah, it was one, the, yeah. uh, I wasn't able to make it, but my friend Ashling Hutchins picked me up. Ah. And uh, I have this one of the signed ones. So I, it was a very good read, I have to say. Ah, brilliant. So, well, there you go now. That's how it happened. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You turned that around so quickly. Yeah. I, I don't know how. That's and I suppose it's your first impressive. book as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't, again, I suppose there's a theme here. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I just did <laughs> I it mean, anyway. I know. feel like that's the theme of our podcast. We we want yeah. to reveal to everyone, nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> they just, yeah, they put the and head down okay. and plow through. Head down, yeah. power through. That's all, like, fake it till you make it. <laughs> what happened then? I'm classic me now thinking of all I'm saying. So what happened then with the job? What ha- Like, what happened next? I'm so excited. What happened next? <laughs> So the job, God, um, so I mentioned that my father got sick. So he, he suffered, a, my, my mother and himself were on holidays in France mm-hmm. and he suffered a massive stroke in Paris and he ran the business. So we had two premises at the time. We did, you know, um, about maybe 20, 30 people working for us. So obviously I didn't have a job at the time because I was finishing the book. So I helped run the family business because he obviously wasn't in, in a position to do that. And um, then I started the following January, I started working in, in that tech company, um, Jams Controls in Cork City. So, so that's kind of what I did. So I kind of helped out the family business at the time with my brother and my sister, who were absolutely fantastic. And we kept the show on the road for three years to get the company to the, celebrate the 50 years. Wow. Um, we've since closed, like as a family, we just wanted to get the, to that milestone for him. Yeah. So that's what I did. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> like, I didn't realize that that book was turned around so quickly. And like, it must have been such an incredible year kind of starting out being like, okay, I'm going to write this book and then going through the process of writing the book. And then obviously with your dad and then watching the the women's kind of in the final of will they get the 10 kind of thing. Like, it must have been such a roller coaster yeah. of the year. One thing I'd love to know is what, where did the name Relentless, how did you decide on that name? Because it's a great so, name because it like, it, it's kind of a word that it kind of encompasses the Cork ladies football. Um, and also Mary herself. Yeah, I, yeah, actually very toofy. God, no, I don't write that now. It's, two, um, it's twofold. So I know where I was when I came up. Well, I, I, can't, I can't claim that I came up with the name. So I was having, I was upstairs in Sinead mm-hmm. having a, a drink and I was sitting down with my partner and, and um we were kind of like oh god okay you're actually going to do this like what would you call it and we were kind of saying okay what what if you'd pick one word to sum them up what would it be and she came up with relentless and that was it so I was like okay sticking to that the the original title was small heads what is it small 
small heads and small arses. <laughs> because that was Eamon that Ryan. Works. Yeah, yeah. That was Eamon Ryan. He had that kind of motto, like he said, you know, that's why they were successful because they had small heads and small arses. <laughs> I thought, no, maybe mm, not. <laughs> it doesn't quite sit as well. I don't know. It doesn't it, 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 it no. seems very oh they all have lovely bottoms energy <laughs> yeah just small head. heads I'd be like excuse me <laughs> yeah. um, um, oh but he meant it in the nicest way possible of course yeah, yeah, I, yeah I think it was um, the better fit yeah yeah definitely it definitely it is a word that I mm. would associate with with the team for sure so you you wrote that book you started working in the tech company what's your role sorry within the tech company so my role there now is um, so I'm operations project manager. So I work for a company called Johnson Controls and they um, build smart buildings. So the building that we're in now in One Albert Key is actually the smartest building in Ireland. I've heard this. I've heard you have scanners for different floors and you can't get on different floors unless you have the right card and stuff. I haven't yeah. been inside, but I've heard there's it's very high tech. You don't have yeah. the right card, Leah. You can't get I in. I don't have any card to be. <laughs> Well, if you know someone. Oh. You know. <laughs> so my role there now at the minute is um, some operations project manager. So run the site for or help run the site for the 400 employees that we have in the floors that we have there. There's a thousand people in the building all, all together. But mm-hmm. um, it was mad actually going from a communications, you know, journalism background into a tech company because a whole other side of my brain started working that I wasn't aware of. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, God, I wish someone when I was a young girl, I wish someone told, told me about STEM. I wish someone had, you know, kind of put that in my radar. It's actually been brilliant to be able to kind of go from journalism into tech and even just the basic skill sets of even being able to write something or mm-hmm. break something down, simplify the language, whatever it might be. So it was a huge eye opener. And I suppose like what I'm doing there now is around, you know, uh, employee engagement, um, you know, anything to do with the employees really on site and diversity inclusion piece you know csr piece so it's fab and there's great people working there it's a great place to yeah. work so that's what I, that's what i'm doing for the last yeah two and a half years now in that role yeah okay. so it's fantastic okay so that you highlighted that um so i i'm an engineer and i'm obviously a stem background but i would have always had an interest in the arts and communication and i think it's really really important for anyone working in a stem career to be able to communicate and have written skills verbal skills presentation skills and even to just explain ideas to create that engagement and i just love that someone that i didn't think would have this i would have this conversation with i'm having this conversation with yeah and it's 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 so funny because like you're an engineer so you're innovative and you're creative so people when people look at engineers and scientists you know they don't think of that side of the brain but then when when you bring you know tie it all together when you actually step back and look at it like that's what it is and like it's that's what's opened my eyes is kind of like the transferable skills so I never thought in a million years I'd be working in a tech company alongside software developers or UX designers or, you know, technical writers, but it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, like even in the back of my head, I'm kind of going, okay, like, where's the next, you know, where's the next thing that I can learn, Mm -hmm. you know, and that kind of comes from the innovative side of tech as well. So it's great to be able to change and switch. Yeah. Cause I think they spend not they, this infamous they, whoever they are. We spend a lot of time separating STEM from creativity when really, 
they support each other. Yeah, totally. They completely support each other. Like, Leah is one of the most creative people I know, but you use technology Mm -hmm. to do that. (laughs) Um, And it wasn't until, well, when I was in school, I had teachers that were kind of, I had my art teacher that saw that creative side in me and then my mathematics teacher that saw that you're pretty good with numbers, you should probably do this. But uh, it wasn't until they realized from the other teachers, they were like, oh, Fiona's good at these both together. Mm -hmm. She needs to do something in that area but I I don't know if there's enough of that or if uh, a lot of people are subject to that kind of education or experience or anything which and is- again like for anyone listening it's kind of like okay think about like some pe- people kind of say okay think, think about what you're good at like and it's almost like the singular thing it's kind mm. of like okay what things am I good at you know that you can bring together yeah. to the table and yeah. what do you like I, I have friends that are some of the most creative people in terms of engineering, but they'd never say that they're designers or creative. And I'm like, you, you made a really nice product there and you thought all about how, how it looks as opposed, as as well as how it works. And mm-hmm. I, it'd be interesting to see them as children. Were they ever, you know, pushed into that area? Or like you said, was it just, I'm good at building and then I'm going to do this. But you also made the building look really nice and behave in a certain way and that that's a whole different side of your brain like you said as well but you need the two to be yeah successful. definitely yeah yeah they work in tandem with each other yeah yes they do. <laughs> and uh, Fee, what you said there were you uh, thank you for saying i'm creative but saying that i'm creative and use technology that's not a perspective i've looked at what i do because i was always creative but never like really good at drawing or never really good at painting but I was also very interested in pe- in tech and stuff like that. Like I am quite techy to a certain extent. So I hadn't thought of how it's they've kind of merged together. So it's interesting. It's very interesting. But, some, but like what Mary has shown, sometimes you need a person to kind of put you mm. in that. Yeah. You know, like, like the guys that were like, you should write and you should do this. You're well capable. It, sometimes you can't see it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually had a very good guy as a mentor. Um, I approached a guy in work, he's very, way more senior than me. And I said to him, look, would, you know, you know, would you mind mentoring me or whatever? And kind of, and it was actually, it was almost like it was reverse mentoring. So I was kind of teaching things around kind of diversity inclusion that he didn't kind of, you know, mm-hmm. he didn't get. And then he was teaching me other things about things like cybersecurity and artificial intelligence and mm-hmm. data, it, you know, and I was like, again, this is a whole other world that mm-hmm. I'm, not aware of and even Leah going back to your point around okay you're really creative and a bit techie but it's kind of like okay I'm almost thinking my head kind of going I wonder what Leah could do that's creative around cyber or creative around AI like the next things coming down the line you know it's kind of almost like that's kind of where you kind of have to be thinking yeah Yeah. and And do you think your experiences then in women's sport encourage your or interest then in diversity and inclusion than in the workplace? Definitely. I think there's so many elements to it, to it. As you guys know, like if you're playing in a team sport, there's so many different characters and personalities and people have turn up. They have good days, they have bad days. They react differently to how they play. So well, without a doubt, massive like to, to promoting um, diversity and inclusion. I think, you know, from my background, from my father being a hairdresser, having that, I suppose, ability to kind of, you know, get someone to feel comfortable to open up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also relates back to the books, you know, like especially with Corey, you know, you, you've you an unbelievably talented individual, extremely private, you know, is judged left, right and centre for what they do, but being able to, you know, let them 
get their guard down. Mm-hmm. I think that also ties into the diversity inclusion piece and understanding that people are different in what they're doing. And even like my eyes have been opened recently around the whole disability issue because my father is, is you know, he's you know partially paralyzed given the stroke and as a family that was huge for us having to adapt to all of that Mm -hmm. and recently like I suppose when you kind of go in and you research and things are you know when it affects you you're kind of more your eyes are kind of more open to it like but um a stat there that I learned was like 70 percent of disabilities are invisible Mm. so like you all you think a disability and you think physical or something that you can physically yeah. see like a like, lost some, limb or like uh, as you said yeah. if your dad's in a wheelchair or anything yeah. that's yeah. and five percent of disabilities are you know only you know people in wheelchairs like like even looking into that around that diversity piece and then okay including we work in ireland's smartest building but actually when we looked at it we weren't very you know inclusive of people accommodate that. people yeah. um so so what can we do and the thing with disability is it transcends every race, ethnicity, you know, sexual orientation, you know, gender, like disability cuts across all mm-hmm. divides or, mm-hmm. you know, spe- spectrum. So, and going back to your point about the team support, like, again, we all have different abilities. So you've the great players and you've the not so great players, but you all have to pull each other along. So sport has yeah. definitely helped when it's come to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. You mentioned there Cora and the book. So segue to that now. So obviously you went from writing the Re- Relentless um, and you work in a tech company. So at what point then did you think after writing Relentless that you'd acti- actually end up writing another book? If you did or if you didn't, how did writing Cora's autobiography come about? Okay, so good question. So the, the night of the launch of Relentless, uh, the running joke on that night was, you'll have to do Cora's next. <laughs> Just, oh, yeah. So it became a running joke. Um, and then about a year and a half later, that same publisher, he'd, uh, he'd moved on to Mercer Press. He rang me and he said, would you like to meet for a cup of coffee? And I was like, oh God, here we go again. So I met him in Starbucks in one Elver Key. And um, he said, uh, how do you feel about doing Cora Stanton's book? And I was like, oh God, okay. And again, like that doubt, like, you know. Even though you just had a really successful run yeah. of your first book. Yeah. But it's totally different. Um, if this one was, it was completely different because I wasn't in it from the start, and I didn't know the characters, and it spanned way longer, mm-hmm. and so it was it was a lot harder. But I said to him, "Okay, I'll have I'll have a think about it." So I rang Cora. I hadn't really like I'd, I would have known maybe interviewed Cora maybe once or twice before that, but I definitely wouldn't have considered that I knew her. And I rang her up, and she said, "Look." there's actually three other people have rang me up to do my autobiography and I'm, I'm not interested, you know, lies and I'm, I'm not ready for it or whatever. And I was like, yeah, fine. And part of me was kind of like relieved because I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And I was like, the other side of it was, you know, she had named three big names that had approached her about it. And I was like, oh, she'll definitely go with one of them if she does decide. Mm-hmm. So I went on holidays anyway. I went to New York. Uh, I hadn't heard anything for about three or four weeks. And I was like, this is going now. Don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> And we were like walking down with the water, like where all the boats were. And we were like, oh, it would be so funny now, like if we got us, if there was a sign now that, you know, you had to do the book or whatever. And the next thing, turn to my left and there was a boat called Cora. No. <laughs> you were like, no, nope, not looking at that, not looking at the boat. <laughs> yeah. So about two days later, I got a phone call from Cora when, <laughs> when I came back and she's like, I, I'm going to do the book. My friends have told me that it's important that I do a book and I want you to do it. And I thought, 
Oh, shh. <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> you were like, are you sure? <laughs> I was like, oh, God, okay, here we go again. No, absolutely <laughs> honoured, like, you mm-hmm. know, that someone would ask you to write their life story. Like, I mean, it's it's kind of like it's a bit of pressure, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, honoured to be asked to do it. And, like, Cora is who she is. You know, she's, as I was saying to you, like, she's Roy Keane. You know, she, if if she was in any other country, she would have Olympic gold medals hanging off her neck. Like, she's mm-hmm. just so driven. And some people like that and some people don't like that. But she doesn't care. Not that she's being disres- disrespectful, but she's just being true to herself. That's hugely admirable, I think, that someone is so... This is who I am. Um, I know that I might may upset you or my opinion might be what you want to hear. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I think she's been an unbelievable advocate for female athletes for so, so long. Was it 36 going out to sign a professional contract in another yeah, country? Yeah. And breaking her leg. She actually broke her leg in four places oh. last year and coming back and, you wow. know, potentially going back at it again at the end of the summer. She's unbelievable, crazy. unbelievable character. And, mm-hmm you know, just wish her all the best. And it was, uh, it was a huge project to undertake, but I'm so glad that we did it right. I'm assuming you got a little bit happy. longer than a few, mo- few months. I was thinking this that was your deadline longer. Yeah. Did you get, what was, <laughs> how long did you get? You got an extra month. <laughs> that was, I started in June, I think 2017. And I requested kind of April of the following year. But then obviously she moved to Oz in the middle of all of it. Um, so that God, made it harder. That's inconsiderate. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this time I was working a full-time job. I hadn't left my job. Oh, no. Oh, wow. wow. Yes. So, okay, you were yeah, in the tech. In tech com- yeah. But I wouldn't recommend. I'm, I'm joking. Not that I wouldn't recommend it. Of course I'd recommend it. Just consider your options. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just throw it. Do you know what? Throw yourself into it. It's funny. Like, I've actually called my other half Cora so many times <laughs> since. Because your your brain. It, yeah. Genuinely. Sorry. Yeah. I'm the worst person in the world, really. I'm going to know you become so consumed with mm-hmm. the project that you're doing yeah. and even go, going to work was actually a break. Like it was like, okay, now I need to concentrate on something mm-hmm. else. Tip my hat to anyone who, who writes a book because I don't think people appreciate it. only the people who are in the vicinity of you, your loved ones, you know what you're doing and what you're putting into it mm-hmm. and the anguish over every single word that goes mm-hmm. into it. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that really kind of deserve the credit underneath it all after everything. Yeah so much respect for someone that writes a book like it's by no means I would I personally wouldn't think that it's easy (laughs) at all and as I think even to write an autobiography or a biography is even more difficult because as you said you're being the voice of someone and telling their life story so that's would be a lot more difficult I think than writing something that's fictional because it's of whatever you want to make up it's your imagination that's the limit whereas this you're limited by the information that you're giving and trying to put that across in words not as the person you're yeah, writing about. Yeah. You're not so, introducing a new character, you know. Well, yeah. Like like the big the biggest thing, like if anyone is thinking about writing a book, like the biggest thing to actually factor in is is one, well, I suppose from an autobiography point of view, does the person actually have a story to tell? Like is there layers under this person? Because mm-hmm. there's, there's no point in you throwing yourself into something and you're halfway through it and you're like oh that's it that's really all you have to say mm-hmm. they have to be brave enough to put themselves on the line and I think it was Paul Kimmage said it's almost for someone a sports person to write an autobiography whoever it's almost like they have to walk down the street naked in front of everybody because that's essentially what they're doing 
for me, the writing part, obviously the writing part was really hard. And it's funny, I know I've written two books, but it doesn't come naturally to me, genuinely. Um, and I know people are kind of maybe going, yeah, right, like, but it, it doesn't. I have to work very hard at it. It's the discipline to get up every day to do it, to plow on, to get it done mm-hmm. and do the best of, to, to the best of your ability. It's the discipline. That's the biggest thing. And that's with any project, with what you do, you have to put in the effort. Otherwise it's pointless and that kind of leads nicely into a question i have here is what what does motivate and what kind of drives you to to stay disciplined and kind of just power through and kind of balance the things like writing the book and your full-time job and so just what what motivates you to 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 do it that's a really really short deadlines you have (laughs) to do (laughs) deadlines help but like yeah they do internally what motivates you (laughs) not the external motivators (laughs) yeah that's a hard question like I think obviously because each project is different but I think if I was to kind of to maybe take a step back and think about it I think what drives me is probably I want to do right by people Mm -hmm. that sounds so cheesy but like whether it was the efforts of the Cork ladies footballers and what they did and you know promoting what they achieved or whether it was someone needs to tell Cora's story she asked me to do it okay that's a privilege I want to do right by her And even with the diversity and inclusion piece, it's kind of like, I want to do right by people, you know, who may need my help or even just creating awareness for other individuals about someone's, you know, disability or orientation, whatever it might be. I think that's kind of what I get a kick out of most is is kind of doing right by people. And that might sound maybe self-gratifying or glorifying. It's not. I think that's kind of what kind of drives me is Mm -hmm. to make sure that people kind of get the praise and recognition for what they do I don't think it's self-gratifying or selfish in any way because from listening to your story it sounds like you're very much a person that is like almost the pedestal for other people as in like you wanted to showcase you wanted to showcase the Cork ladies football team you wanted to showcase just women's sports in general like I know you're always going on about the rugby stuff as well you wanted to showcase Cora as best you could with the book like you're very much you're there kind of propping people on your shoulders and I don't think that I think that needs to be you need to be put on a pedestal and shown like look at what you've done the last almost almost 20 years of of your life uh, promoting ladies or female sport in 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 this country so I think you never know someone might be writing a book about you in the future (laughs) Well, I don't know. But like, even just to that point, Leah, like you guys are doing exactly the same thing. Like mm. by having, in, seriously though, by having females on and even creating this podcast, like you're lifting people up. And like, that's what the whole thing is about. It's about lifting each other up, you know, regardless of, you know, gender, whatever it might be. Like you guys are doing exactly the same thing. And the more we can lift each other up, sure, the better. I have, I have a quote in my head. Real mm. real queens fix each other's crowns. <laughs> <laughs> Leah and her quotes, everybody. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, no, uh, but thank you so much. I think I, I think I think this could be a constant circle. I'll be like, no, you're doing great. No, you're doing But I think and as cheesy as that saying is like real queens fix each other each other's crowns. I think it is women need to support other women. And that's oh, just yeah. what needs to be done. You said that 
you were saying that Cora is a very motivated and, and kind of strong person. And you said some people either take that or, or they leave it. And I think the people that leave it or don't like it are just people that are almost jealous that they're not that motivated and stuff like that. So I think women have to support other women. It's not a competition. We're all in this world trying to do the best that we can. And there's no point in putting down other women. So if we, as uh, the three of us and other people and other women out there can do a bit to, to help be the, what's it, the pedestal or, or the... Catalyst for change. The catalyst. Oh, the catalyst for change. Science. Woo. <laughs> that's, that's the least we can do kind of thing. And just to come in on the storytelling aspect, obviously, because you write books. And I'm, I would regard myself as a, a storytelling kind of comedian mm. on uh, by night, <laughs> engineer by day. <laughs> I just think we can see so much from the changes in Irish history in the last 10 years from people telling their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the marriage referendum, the repeal of the eighth, that all came from people's stories and letting people see the human side of everything. And women's sport was crying out for that because it was always the butt of every joke when I was growing up. Like, oh, sure, who's going to your match? And I was like, well, <laughs> my dad will be there, but he coaches us. So <laughs> uh, the dog might be there. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to go to that game. And I'm like, why not? And it, it isn't until people start talking about, you know, their experiences of women's sport, like growing up, oh, we had to, our match got cancelled because the boys had to train. Or that that story that gets me every time of the the women who are dual status and they had to play a football match at twelve o'clock and a hurling match at three o'clock halfway mm. up the country. Mm. You, until people hear these stories, they don't realise how tricky and difficult it can be. You need the vehicle to tell the stories, and, and I think that's where you come in. Mm-hmm. And but even as taking a step back from that, each of us needs to realise the power of our own story. You know, mm-hmm. like I think before you can tell any other story, you kind of we underestimate the power that each of our story has. So the more stories we tell, the better. So, And I think that's a perfect way of saying it, because we've had so many people come out. Oh, I'm not that interesting. I haven't oh, done anything. And you're like, no, everyone, everyone's story is is interesting and unique to the people that listen to it. And that's just that's just part of why we're, why we're doing this because people need to hear other people's stories. As simple as that. It's if nothing else, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely. If nothing else, you're you're being nosy and you're, you're <laughs> getting some information. People um, love to like. It just comes to when Leo was saying, "Oh, they don't know." You know, that I've nothing to talk about. Once a person gets going, mm. it's hard to stop them. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> I, I love that part of storytelling. I absolutely do. And I think write, writing an autobiography or someone's biography for them is that's why it's the ultimate challenge. Because they're yeah, that's true. Actually, didn't think of it like that. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, yeah definitely. Fantastic. We're kind of we're coming to the end of, of, of the podcast. No! I know. <laughs> <laughs> we always get so upset i think we could we could chat here as i said back and forth going no you're great no you're great for the rest for the rest of the day but before we finish mary what's next for mary white oh. is there another book in the pipeline that is <laughs> netflix documentary <laughs> netflix documentary yeah like yeah. what's next i would actually i would love to make a documentary oh it yeah. would be good um, I, I, I genuinely, I have nothing in the pipeline like that. I think the right thing probably has to come along and mm-hmm. 
it depends as well on what's going on in your life but um i do love documentaries so yeah you might have planted a seed there now oh. we should make contact with um kate that we had on because she literally off the bat just went off and did her own documentary series yeah, it's oh, wow. a, a, vo- yeah. a, a audio documentary series. An audio, but it's the same kind of road to get yeah. the funding and things like that from what I've learned. So, I mean, there could be a collaboration, be a collaboration thing going on. Yeah. There you go now. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> Mary, we're, before we finish, uh, we do a few fun questions, but I just want to say thank you so much again for coming thank on. You. Thank uh, you. And it's been such an interesting listening to, to your story and your journey. Like, just like the the time that you had to to write the book, how you kind of just decided if nobody else is going to promote the ladies football, then I'm going to do it kind of thing. Like I'm going to step up and I'm going to do the best that I can in the best way that I can and stuff like that. So like, it's been so interesting and thank you so much. And thank you, not on behalf of all female sports people, but just thank you for being someone that's, that's kind of constantly promoted female sports within the country, because I know, Anytime I I didn't get to go to see a football game, I always knew that Mary is probably there. So I'll check I'll check Mary's Twitter for for all the information. That's the right one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for everything you you thank do you. and continue to do for the female sports. Uh, Cheers. Um. So before we finish off, we do a few kind of fun questions. So the first one is three people dead or alive that you would like to have over for dinner. Okay. So the first one is. Has to be Elvis Presley. I'm obsessed. <laughs> he hasn't actually. It's true. Silly. You, nobody else has picked him yet. Oh, good. Yeah, well, yeah. Everyone nope. says Michelle Obama. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, good. But like, you have to have good music. Like, you know, true, so true. I, like since a very young age, I've just loved Obsessed with Elvis. And it's not something you would come out with that often and tell people in public. <laughs> that's, um, good, that's an interesting fact. Yeah, so I've been to Graceland and everything. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, did a road trip there two, three years ago, Nashville, Memphis and New Orleans. Highly wow. recommend it. Wow. I would have, I'd have to have my gran, wow. my mother's mother, just because great crack, like just so resilient, could come out with anything. So it would <laughs> definitely make for an interesting conversation. And then I was thinking I'd have to have a sports person there she'd have to be female so I think Serena Williams just because I don't really know anything about her I do but I don't so Mm -hmm. I'd love to actually really kind of maybe you could write her book next (laughs) yeah geez yeah gosh (laughs) she probably has Um, one already but if she hasn't (laughs) yeah that's Um, a solid three three. that's a solid three solid choice so the next question is what is your favorite quote or mantra that you live by my father used to have like this really cheesy one. It used to be um, the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. dictionary yeah. So there's that, that cheesy one. But I think for me and for my family, I suppose, given kind of what we've gone through in the last couple of years, our family motto kind of it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, OK, and it's not it's not in the sense of we're accepting a situation. It's it is what it is. OK, what's the solution, drive on, go do it. And I think that's probably how we operate as individuals as well as a family. Mm -hmm. So I think as well, if someone is kind of trying to come to terms with the situation that they're in, even in COVID now, it's like, okay, it is what it is. Get on and just get on with it. Do what you have to do. Mm -hmm. So next question is, knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself 10 years ago? I would say... Ask for a longer deadline on the... (laughs) 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 definitely I would probably say to myself to probably believe in myself 
a lot sooner mm-hmm. than what I have. I obviously believe to myself to a certain extent, but you guys probably picked up from this conversation. Like I am that very kind of Irish, uh, sure look at, you know, thanks. You know, I can't really kind of take yeah. praise and I almost feel like I need to kind of get out of that a bit. So I think I would probably tell my younger self, not in a cocky way, not say to be cocky, but it's just almost like you can do this mm-hmm. and just just go do it. Belief and in yourself. The rest. Yeah. Yeah. I read a good one on was a Facebook the other day. If you believed in Santa Claus for eight or nine years, you can believe in yourself for 10 <laughs> goddamn seconds. <laughs> I like that. That's, yeah, I love that. I yeah, mean, I still believe in that. That resonates. <laughs> yeah, I, I still refuse to not believe that he's not real. <laughs> Sorry, uh, spoiler alert. For no, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. This actually question isn't on my list, but I just came up with it there. From all your years of following Cork Leeds football or any maybe sports team, what has been a moment that you've been there to experience and watch unfold? What has been your favorite or one that stands out? Oh, it has to be the comeback. Is that the, the 14, 14 points down or what it was in the final? Of that yeah, one? 16 points down yeah. with 10 minutes ago. And I remember I was doing the commentary for C103 FM with Paddy Palmer, who is an absolute ticket. Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. he was, he actually said live on radio, he's like, they're they're dead and buried, they're, you know, they're gone or whatever. And I was like, no, hang on, this like whatever. And he kind of turned and looked at me and he's like, and kind of off air, he was kind of like, for real kind of like saying to me and I was just like no just wait for it like not that I didn't think that they were going to like not do it like but I I just knew there was more to them more in the tank and obviously they came back and it was a grown man standing next to me who'd been commentating for decades yeah. and the tears were rolling down <laughs> his face he was bawling and I was like we've made it like women's sport we have made it we've men grown men standing bawling uh-huh looking at this and I that's the moment for me I was just like this is absolutely fantastic we made it yeah I remember looking at Twitter and just kept refreshing I was like what is going on (laughs) and it was just yeah it was crazy because it was like it was what you said 16 points down with like 10 minutes to go and it was just I don't know there was something that lit within the court team that just took them to that level that they needed to go to get that win like yeah, and the fact then that they went down to win the RT, mm. they became the first female team to win the RT Sports Team of the Year yeah. that December. Uh-huh. And I remember there was an article that day in the Sunday Times or the Sunday Independent, and uh, some sports journalist was saying, uh, here now, lads, like the Cork ladies, they, they don't have a chance. Like the men's rugby team won the Six Nations, you know, like I can't remember what else done. I, it really annoyed me. Mm-hmm. And I just remember when they won, I was like, you know, this that was the icing on the cake as well for them just to be acknowledged yeah. for all their achievements. You know, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And also, ha ha, to the person. Who <laughs> yeah. <is>. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally jumping around my kitchen, going, you know, I won't, I won't. We are. We can. Around. We can imagine what uh, what you were doing. Hand gestures. Yeah, at the television. <laughs> the official last question is one last thought before you sign off what would you say to someone that's teetering on the edge of a big decision or what life advice would you give someone well being a massive procrastinator <laughs> i don't know am I the best person to give advice Me. um but the pro and procrastination I, if i look back at my own career like nothing nothing would have changed unless i changed something myself mm-hmm. So there's no point in going around in the same circle the whole time going, oh, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing different? It's like, okay, you need to make a change, change it. So that that would be it. Just okay. just do it. Like, yeah. Mary, before we sign off and finish this wonderful episode of the podcast, 
where can people find you if you want to plug your social media plug your books plug whatever you want to plug yeah sure so i'm on twitter and i'm on linkedin so just put in mary white you definitely find me there <laughs> the book mercia press reprinted relentless after five years last year so you find it on their website and in all good bookshops and uh, Cora's game changer is available on penguins website and in all good bookstores as well so perfect Mary, thank you so much. Thank you so um, much. It's been a thank pleasure pleasure listening to you telling us uh, your journey and what a journey it's been. And I'm sure the people listening have enjoyed it as well. And thank you just, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys. and Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Mel. Thanks everyone to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Next Gen Femme. We will catch you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.